Yo, welcome back to another episode of The Ben James Show. And today we are going to be going into something that I, I think is going to be interesting for a lot of people. Um, the thing is, is like when I ask people what sort of stuff you want me to talk about, relationships are obviously one of the biggest ones. Everyone's been in them, everyone's got experience in them, everyone's got opinions with them, right? But today we're going to talk about something that I'm familiar with because it's a little bit of me and how I play out unconscious patterns and behaviors within relationships. Now, that attachment is dismissive avoidant. While I'm majority secure, now, if, if, if you don't know, maybe this podcast will be the um, starting point for you understanding and learning more about attachment styles, but they're very important. Uh, they're important in a sense where they allow you to better understand your unconscious patterns um, and the games you play. Side note, an amazing book um, for certain unconscious behaviors and games you play is funny enough called The Games People Play. Awesome book. So that's all about transactional analysis. That's a completely different topic that we could talk about on an entirely different podcast. But today we're gonna to focus on dismissive avoidant. Now, like I said before, while I'm majority secure, my primary is a secure attachment style, my secondary, is dismissive avoidant, my third is fearful avoidant, and my last is anxious. Anxious I actually have very little. I don't know whether or not we're gonna go into a little bit about that and how that plays out for me having none within relationship, but maybe we will. But today we're gonna to talk about things to how to either become aware of whether or not you're dating or in a relationship with a dismissive avoidant, whether or not you're dismissive avoidant, and some of the things to look out for, right? so. As for me, a lot of things I speak about today um, are going to be in relation to dismissive avoidant, but they can also then cross over into uh, fearful avoidant traits, right? And again, everything is on a spectrum. How these things play out to what degree varies from person to person. But hopefully through this, you're going to pinpoint maybe some of these behaviors and, and see them in yourselves. And maybe you might be sitting there thinking, this is explaining me to a T. And for a lot of things we're talking about today, they happen to be pretty accurate in some of my behaviors. And again, all on a spectrum. So let's rip into it. Hopefully we're gonna make this a quick, short and sharp one. These solo podcasts can be a little bit tricky. Obviously it's a little bit easier to have someone else on the other end to, to, to banter with and have a little bit of time to think. But I've got some notes here and we're gonna rip into some of the things that I found within myself having certain dismissive, dismissive avoidant tendencies. So this is gonna be a pretty obvious one, is that they take a while to warm to people and can typically feel a bit cold on the front end. Now, typically when we meet people, uh, a lot of people who are maybe secure, um, not, and it's not too many people that kind of go into different meetings with new people um, in, a, in, in, in an indifferent way. For the majority, they're either looking at three sort of intentionalities, and that is they're either perceiving the person as a, uh, a, a potential foe, um, a friend, or a fornicator. Someone they wanna fucking get at. Get that coitus. Oh yeah. Ugh. Coitus is like the worst way of describing sexual relations. Ugh, why did I even, I don't know why I mean use that. Ugh. Anyway. So for a lot of dismissive avoidance, uh, they um, look for risk, right? 
So they're risk adverse. They typically will go into something interpreting that there's more likelihood that someone's a foe or a threat than they are a potential friend or behaving indifferently. Right now, this hasn't necessarily played out where I feel like someone's a foe, in, uh, but it does play out in a sense for me where I'm typically pretty. I, I take a bit of time to warm up to people. I usually have pretty heavy banterish in the front end. I kind of like to shit test people. I think with a lot of dismissive avoidances, they also have a lot of t uh, difficult, um, a lot of difficulty around ultra sensitive people. So I think um, for a lot of dismissive avoidance, they can like to be able to see whether or not you're ultra sensitive and be able to know that um, they can be themselves in a way where you're not going to be ultra offended or sensitive at times, right? So that's one way that it can play out. So the next thing is that they don't feel into emotions. They typically keep in uh, the realms of logic. Now, the funny thing is when we hear a lot of people talk about and, and and with guys oh he's in touch with his feminine because he can talk about his emotions and that's something that i've gotten over the time and i used to think okay yeah maybe i am in touch with my feminine and what i realized was in that sense no i wasn't really because i would talk about thoughts and emotions but i would talk about it from a logical standpoint now the feminine is a continual flow, ebbing and flowing of, of emotions and being within the emotion. Masculine is obviously death to an emotion, cutting it off, cutting off the circulation, right? Stopping it in its tracks. And that happens through being objective and using logic. Uh, so while I was able to explain or logically share why I was feeling the way I was feeling or my thoughts, it was coming from a very logical, rational standpoint, which is heavily masculine. And that was where the, the sort of people, you know, kind of got that wrong. Whereas like, just because people can explain their emotions doesn't mean they're in the feminine or they're in touch with their feminine, right? doesn't mean they're, they're capable of being ultra vulnerable or um, expressing emotions fully within them, but they can be good at expressing them through logic Right? And that's what you'll find with a lot of dismissive avoidances. They, can, they tend to stick towards the realm of logically analyzing emotions as opposed to being within them. They're typically quite good at suppressing emotions, whether or not they've been people who um, have had abandonment or rejection as a thing within their past. They're typically people that have found a way to self-soothe themselves um, more than relying on other people in general, right? So that's why they kind of don't end up speaking too much into their emotions or open up vulnerability-wise because they've tried to find mechanisms of which they self-soothe themselves or they felt like in the past that they, they're, they're, they're their own, they're, they have to be their own source of self-soothing. And that has come through being able to sit outside the emotions and objectively look upon them. And that can kind of come off as very robotic at times, right? As I mentioned, very analytical, like to piece together a lot of details. I, I a lot of the time when I talk to people, I have so many questions. I want to uh, piece together 
um, the puzzle. I want the, the vision of what someone's telling me to be so thorough. I find out every detail so I can see it pretty much in a complete vision from just pretty much asking the, their, them questions. In certain circumstances, that can be wanting to have as much information as possible to feel like I have more ability to be in control and to uh, make good decisions in order to eliminate risk or threat, right? As I mentioned before, dismissive avoidant people can be pretty risk averse. They like to find holes within the boat before they happen, right? They're wired a lot of times to find threat before they happen. Uh, I've definitely seen that within myself. I've been able to spend uh, a lot of times speaking to people that are coming up with different game plans for different things and my ability to, to kind of really find holes and, and future pace, things that they might come up or, or difficulties that might come up means that they can avoid that early days because I tend to gather a lot of specific information and go down a rabbit hole of what all these things could lead to and all the different narratives and we find ways of accounting for all those things and again because dismissive avoidance depending on their childhood are really sort of looking to eliminate as much risk and uh, risk and as, and as much threat as possible dismissive avoidance very blunt and straight to the point uh they could also come off at times as being very critical um that is because they're extremely self-critical uh, of themselves and often with people in general the way that they speak to you is typically a reflection of how they speak to themselves there's been um, sometimes in the past again maybe being too blunt and not picking my times well enough to deliver um, useful truths but in a way that was more constructive Right, and, and typically when, when people are looking to tell someone something that's honest or something that's truthful, but it could carry a little bit of distaste on the other end, people either share or don't share their truths for two reasons mainly, and that is they fear that the person's not gonna like who they really are, or they don't trust the person to be strong enough to hear what they're about to tell them, right? So. I think for a lot of dismissive avoidance, especially if they don't have a lot of anxiety, um, they can be very forward with, with their opinions because they're not overly anxious about sort of what the other person can is going to receive it. They, they have more of a proclivity to not worry as much about what the other person might think, especially if they don't have too much anxiety. Um, the question is then, if they're really honest, is whether or not they think you're strong enough to hear what they have to say and trust you to be able to hold it, right? It doesn't necessarily always make it right and, and doesn't mean that it always plays out in a way that is done in a healthy manner. Um, and again, there's been times where maybe I had to pick, pick and choose over the years, you know, and I've learned obviously all over the time how to frame things up to have a positive intent, um, over the years, being able to tell people certain things, but have it be framed up in a way that it leads to a positive intent and a strengthening of a relationship as opposed to creating barriers and creating distance, right? Which is something that a lot of dismissive avoidance can do. They can easily go look to find fault. So it creates, um, you're right, I'm right, you're wrong. You're the reason I'm creating distance and creating that space. And we'll talk maybe a little bit about that later. So if you're dating, 
a dismissive avoidant or you're, or you're in the process. And again, like Australians and Americans, I think use the, the term dating differently. Dating, I think for a lot of Americans means you're actually in the commitment relationship where dating in Australia means you're, you're in that, you're, you're um, learning about each other still. You're kind of before commitment sort of phase. I don't know, you guys tell me in the comments whether or not that's accurate or not. Um, but for a lot of people who carry dismissive avoidant traits, they can come off hot and cold. And the thing is, is while they crave closeness, they also fear it. And that can lead to feeling like they're, they're not too attracted to you. And sometimes it could literally be that, that they're just, this person is just literally not that interested. But the hot and coldness can sometimes be a dismissive avoidant. Uh, wanting closeness but also fearing it either because in childhood they had abandonment uh, or rejection and because like I mentioned before they they sort of uh, look to future um, pace or, or um, avoid threat that they experienced in adolescence or childhood um, do they does that sort of play out in a hot and cold sort of feeling now they could have an attraction to you that's an eight out of ten but a fear that's a six out of 10, and that could leave them seeming a two out of 10 interested at times, if that makes sense, right? And the thing is, is that they, they really do want the closest, but at the same time, fear it out of, out of a fear of, um, again, uh, rejection or abandonment that has been something that they, they, they want to avoid or they have you know, underlying guilt or shame around. And, you know, layering more of that becomes more of a threat. So that's why, again, uh, some dismissive avoidance can be really hot and cold. So the funny thing is why it, it's, it's tough for, especially tough for people who are anxious avoidant, um, uh, sorry, anxious attachment, either as their primary or secondary dating someone who is dismissive avoidant. And funny enough, a lot of people who are dismissive avoidant and anxious end up in relationships. Uh, a lot of times it could either be because the anxious attachment or any of the other attachments may have had a parent who maybe was negligent, wasn't um, expressive, uh, didn't um, show affection that much, wasn't emotionally available, all those sorts of things and they didn't have those needs met. And for a lot of people, we like to think that we get into relationships majority out of conscious reasoning or conscious decisions. We have a type. In reality, I don't believe that we're all where we, 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 to a certain degree we do. But I think for the most part, we choose our partners from our um, sort of from an unconscious space. And that can be from trying to retrieve maybe lost needs that we felt at a young age. So some people get into relationships with people that sort of represent an opportunity to reclaim some of those needs that were, that were lost through maybe one of their parents or someone that was in their environment when they were younger, right? So it's this, it's this almost like a second chance of, if I can get this person who re represents something similar to what I had in childhood to show me affection and display affection and open up to me, and be that, and all those things that it counteracts those lost needs in youth, right? And that's why sometimes we do unconsciously choose certain partners that, you know, there's things that we love about them, um, and things that the same things that we love about them we also dislike about them, 
And just to continue on with that, which is a side note, the funny thing is there's a lot of people who um, go into relationships with people um, for certain traits is because I've shamed myself for holding certain traits or I don't allow myself to hold certain traits. So I find freedom in someone that has those traits that I don't allow myself to have and I have them play out through them. But simultaneously, it seems as though they dislike those traits, even though that's where they gain their freedom. It's kind of fucking messed up a little bit, right? So that's the interesting thing is that some people do choose partners for traits that they disallow themselves and they uh, allow them to be expressed within their lives through the other person. But at the end of the day, they also have shame and guilt around that and judge that. And so it's this kind of to and to and froing between I love those traits and, and and but I don't allow those traits with me. And then there's also the judgment of the the disallowing of traits within themselves that that, that get, then gets pushed onto the other partner. I don't know if that makes any sense. Hopefully it does. So for many they they try to avoid conflict now this is where i'm probably on the lower end of the spectrum as far as this is this is concerned a lot of dismissive avoidance like to just kind of cut things off really really quick even if it's really unresolved they don't want to really go dig dig dig, uh, dig too deep down for me i'm i'm pretty good within conflict i actually don't mind going into it um i don't mind i don't avoid arguments i like to meet things head on and um uh, close out loops. I don't like too many conversations to go un, unsaid. So I like to get on the front foot. I feel like I have an ability to have good, healthy um, communication within potential conflict, um, whether or not it be in business or in a relationship. It's, it's probably harder for me to, to do in relationship than it is for me within business. Yeah, a lot of them do really want to avoid conflict at all cost and are very much um, dismissive. You see it with a lot of partners that are like, you know, let's talk. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I'm tired. I'm too late. You know, this. And, and I can be like that with some some um, topics. Some topics that are really sort of tough for me that draw up stuff within me. Um, I, I feel an uncomfortableness in my body and I feel like wanting to wanting to flee from it. It doesn't happen a lot, but there's a couple of topics that, that really flares up with me. One quick one for dismissive avoidance is a lot of times after the honeymoon phase, um, they can do things like uh, not want to hold hands and they walk uh, six or seven steps in front of the partner. Uh, that's something that, funny enough, I noticed about myself as well. And um, we had to get on the front foot and uh, obviously become aware. I didn't even realize I was doing it, right? So that played out in my, not my relationship so much now, but a little bit at times, but more so in my previous relationship. So a lot of the times vulnerability to a dismissive avoidant um, feels like a threat, whether or not, again, um, it was weaponized against them at a young age. Um, if they feel like their boundaries are being pushed, it, it will make them very uncomfortable, right? And I think it's important to remember that some people treat their emotional sanctity in a similar way that some people treat their sexual sanctity. And allowing people to bridge those boundaries can be very disappointing uh, to people, again, whether or not be through um, a crossing of boundaries with their emotional sanctity. 
or, or their sexual sanctity. So in somewhat of a relation, but obviously not the same. Saying things like, you know, just be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is okay. Open up to me could represent a similar threat emotionally than someone saying, hey, look, just have sex with me. Open your legs up to me. It could provide that similar sort of trigger or disappointment in self for giving up those boundaries and not holding strong to it. Obviously, being vulnerable and sharing emotions is not a bad thing. And obviously, having sex is not a bad thing at all. It's whether or not people feel comfortable. So if people are not comfortable either to have sex or to open up uh, emotionally, it's finding a way to be able to create the space to have that be of comfort and have them choose when they're ready to, to be able to entertain that level of vulnerability either through their body or through their emotions. Okay, so that's, that's the big thing as well is that with people who have a hard time with vulnerability, it, it's not as simple as, as and again, like some people can, can completely not understand why pe some people are not really that easy to open up to having sexual acts as quick as some other people. And it's the same with some people that are not as quick to open up vulnerability wise. It, they still both carry a certain level of threat. Um, so it's not for us to be able to dictate or to push people to go and uh, you know, open up whatever level of sanctity that they want to share with us. Um, be it physically or emotionally before they're ready and for for a lot of men they you know maybe sometimes they just feel more comfortable opening up to their their boys and you know partner if that's happening then that's that's amazing that's at least that they kind of got a sounding board to express their emotions through and if you're a man hopefully at least you've got that um sometimes it can be frustrating for uh, you know your partner if you're a man that has a hard time opening up to you know really want to bridge that gap and have that connection but again, that's going to boil down to the level of, of safety that they feel. And again, there's maybe they've been in relationships at times where they have opened up and their vulnerability has been weaponized against them. And that's something to obviously have a look at and have some curiosity around. You're seeing the more that I talk about these things is that a lot of it boils down to unconscious things that have played out in the past and being able, able to unravel them and learn about them. And especially to learn about them together, especially if you're in a relationship. The beautiful thing about my relationship is the fact that we can have these conversations and really dissect and learn about um, ourselves and, and bring these conversations up. And that kind of leads into maybe the next thing that I want to uh, mention is that if you're someone who's in a relationship with a dismissive avoidant, they have a, a certain level or threshold that they reach before they really start to, again, want to pull themselves away and create distance now if someone who's dismissive, dismissive avoidant becomes vulnerable with you um, and starts to share parts about you again sometimes the things that they share or they haven't shared they maybe haven't because they again fear that you weren't strong enough to be able to handle what they say and that can sometimes spark up uh, a trigger in the other person and then it ends up being this to and froing arguing that then creates this negative connotation around opening up and being vulnerable. So the important thing is, is that when your partner opens up and is vulnerable to, to look to go to work, to, to understand and to, and to, and these, this stuff's obviously very important to be able to not take things super personally as well. Right. And the last thing you want to do is when your partner opens up about certain things, to have this negative negative connotation with it, where it always ends up in an argument or a fight or judgment or guilt or you being triggered by something, right? Because 
there will be a threshold where there's an uncomfortable where it creates distance, but then there'll be a negative connotation with opening up where they just won't want to anymore. They won't want to again. Why am I going to open up again if every time this happens, we end up in a to and fro and arguing? Um, and again, this is gonna boil down to the quality of your ability to have conversations. And there all there will also be a lot more of this to and froing and arguing when there's less of a secure attachment style between the two partners. So dismissive avoidance um, like to find distraction in things. It could be it could be their computer through work. It could be the phone. They tend to try to um, distract themselves occasionally from uh, difficult emotions through through things, and that can affect them being present. I think a big thing with dismissive avoidance is I have a really, really, really hard time uh, being present, either because they're going into an analytical stage of trying to self-soothe or self-coach themselves because they've had to be over, overly reliant um, or felt like they've had to be overly reliant as far as their own self-soothing over time, feeling like they had to be their own source of it because people around them um, maybe, again, weren't as emotionally available to, to take on being a sounding board and they've had to, well, they felt like they've had to self-soothe, but sometimes that can come in the form of uh, distracting themselves through um, phones. So one of my real sort of things, and again, like this is just being honest, is that um, I had a, like, and it's probably gonna be good to have my partner on at some point to kind of talk about some of the things that I'm mentioning, but there was, you know, I have a hard time, I have a knee-jerk reaction to picking up my phone and looking at it for pretty much no reason. Again, it's just like, I have I've had a hard time being present. I think that's one of the, the cool things about um, being surfing, uh, having surfed a lot lately, is that it provides me that um, outlet to find presence, and then that's tr transcending a little bit more into everyday life. I'm dragging that a little bit more into everyday life and being less knee-jerk into avoiding um, whatever emotions through just going back to work or being on the phone. And I've got a few more, but I'm going to leave it on this so we keep it to a, you know, a healthy 30-minute podcast. They love to spend a lot of time alone. They're okay with distance, right? And this is obviously the thing is like with some partners, they crave closeness, some crave distance, and they can either you know read that as a lack of love or being needy. And so especially if you're avoidant, you're dating a dismissive avoidant, uh, sorry, if you're anxious and you're dating a dismissive avoidant, that not to chase them down when they require alone time or require distance. The more you try to chase them down and try and bridge that gap, they're gonna retract even more. So give them a space, let them have the time, and when you give them that, you'll find that they're, they're, they're gonna wanna bridge that gap themselves. They wanna gonna bridge that closest to themselves. And they're gonna obviously be grateful for you for creating allowing them that space to be able to have them time themselves they do create they do crave a lot of alone time that's how they recharge a lot of the time again especially if they're someone who also has a bit of introvert in them they're going to crave their own uh, time to be able to, to recharge and re-energize so yeah don't don't try to chase them down if they're craving a little bit and that's obviously going to be up to them or you if you're dismissive avoidant to be able to just you know let your partner know that you know you love them, you care for them, and frame up the reasons why you're wanting a little bit of alone time, or you're wanting a bit of space, or if you're wanting to go on a trip by yourself, and what it represents and what it doesn't represent, and just be able to kind of nurture the the partner, your partner, from understanding that 
it's not about you needing to be away from it. It's just that you obviously crave a little bit of your own alone time uh, to recharge and to spend with yourself and to create a stronger sense of self and self-relationship. And again, dismissive avoidance crave a lot of freedom. Um, and to be able to have that try to be stripped away through potentially insecurity of an anxious attachment style um, becomes very, very triggering to a dismissive avoidant, right? So hopefully these are some things that have sparked you onto wanting to learn more about this. I don't know if I'm gonna talk any more. Um, I could talk a little bit more about the other ones, but this is the one I kind of know the most about because this is my secondary and this is the one that I've had to pay more attention on. Obviously it played the way that um, my behaviors play out is more accurate to a dismissive avoidant style, but for the, obviously for the majority it's a secure. But again, there, there are massive signs as to where this shows up for me. Hopefully this, this allows you to want to go dig deeper into this line of work. Again, as I mentioned before, um, attachment styles are a very uh, powerful thing to be able to decipher some of your unconscious patternings in the games you play. Um, and doing this with a partner or something is, is, an, is an incredible thing to be able to form strong relationships, but also um, ones of depth right, and growth. So again, uh, the book I mentioned, or if I didn't mention it, The Games People Play is another amazing one. That is an incredible book to really understand unconscious uh, games that people play. But guys, thanks again for tuning in. Um, if you wanna leave a review, much appreciated. Like, comment, subscribe, all those sorts of things, whether you're listening on podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, I appreciate you. See you next time.